Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church. And visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. This is a message from Chesley Monzo at one of our women's gatherings. Hope you enjoy. Oh man, it's it's really an honor to be here with you all this morning though. I'm Chesley, as Christina mentioned. Um, I am a full-time mama to a two-year-old toddler. Yes, I'm tired. <laughs> You've probably seen her toddling around here on a Sunday. Uh, she comes up here and plays everything, bangs around with the drumsticks, and she thinks she owns the place. And that's because her dad is the worship pastor, Riley, so that's my husband. Um, and I'm just excited to be here with you guys this morning. I love the church, I love the Lord, and I love getting opportunities like this to dig into God's word. So um, just thanks for having me. Let's go ahead and get started. We have a great story today ahead of us, um, as Christina said, about Mary Magdalene. So right on the heels of Easter, you might remember hearing her name a few times, and that's because she had an important role in that story. When we first meet her in the Bible, we read that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Let me tell you, at first I did not choose to talk about her. I said, seven demons? Yikes, how could I identify with her? What do we have in common? And I did hear it, it said, though, that she ended up being like the first century women's director, women's ministry director. And then I thought, well, if Christina or Denise had a history like that, I'm not sure I'd let them in my front door. I'm just kidding. She's going to be a great person to study today. And after spending some time in her story, I see so much beauty in it. And I can only hope that my response to Jesus is like hers was. So who is this woman, Mary Magdalene, who was special to Jesus? And she was there for the major events of the cross. Who was she? Well, first, let's talk about the small detail of the demon possession. Just small thing. <laughs> uh, if you're taking notes today, all of my points begin with D. That's for you note takers. I am you. You're my people. So our first point is demoniac. That's who she was. Before Jesus, she was a demoniac. She is introduced to us in Luke 8. And you know, I'm going to be jumping around to a lot of different verses today. Um, you're welcome to be flipping around if you'd like, but I'm going to read them to you. Um, so here's just the first tidbit we get about her. Luke 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Cured. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Cheza, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. So Mary was from a town called Magdala. Magdalene is not her last name. That's how we get 
um, Mary Magdalene. She was from a town called Mag- Magdala, a small fishing village on the Sea of Galilee. And she may have been connected to the town's industry in some way because we know she had some means, some sort of wealth maybe to um, be able to fund Jesus's ministry, right? And the disciples. And as we see, she was possessed with seven demons until Jesus cast them out. I really love Pastor David Guzik's commentary. Whenever I'm confused about something, I go to him and say, David, help me out here. And he says this, that demons attack men because they hate the image of God. They hate it. They hate it in man. So they try to mar that image by debasing man and making him grotesque. Demon possession is a complex thing uh, that the Bible mentions a few times. We aren't going to focus on that today. I'd rather focus on the transformational power of God. If you have questions that you want to talk about afterwards, we can totally chat. I'm probably going to say, got to talk to one of our pastors. (laughs) Um, No, I'm happy to share what I know. But um, we probably have an idea of how dark that would have been, right? But I want us to understand a few things that possession would have done to a person. And as Christina mentioned, um, this story of the man, the demoniac, um, actually in Luke chapter 8, I didn't know she was going to bring him up. I wanted to borrow some information from that story too, because it's a very detailed account um, about what possession would have done to somebody and then how God delivered him. So... If you would like to look in Luke 8, you can, but I'm just going to grab a few things. Possession could have been for a prolonged amount of time. Instead of just like this one moment, it would have been something that carried on. The person often wore no clothes. They were driven by the demons to be that way. They would have been called that crazy naked person, and they would have been dirty. They didn't live in a civilized home but were driven to tombs and deserted places we see in the Bible, more like a wild animal than a human. They had unnatural strength, which was a bad thing. They would would hurt themselves and break things. They were able to break loose from restraining shackles and chains people would have tried to put them in. They would have been crying out, tormented, self-destructive, self-harming, out of control, and they could not be tamed when they were possessed. And I think that means they would have been lonely. They would have been seen as crazy, outcast from society, not having a place, not wanted, hopeless to change themselves in their own abilities. Mary would have been crazy for reasons outside of her control. There would have been physical and psychological trauma for her. She would have lost her self-control and dignity and been physically battered. Think about that as a woman. Especially in her day, women are expected to stay in line. Putting myself in her shoes as a woman alone and all of the responsibilities that come with being a woman, like managing a household and maybe she had some sort of involvement with her town's industry, 
possession would have at least been most inconvenient. It would have been embarrassing and shameful, icky, degrading, distracting, and humiliating, right? She likely would have seen no way out. She would have been aware of her need for a savior, and only Jesus could see who she really was beneath all of that in her distressed state. So now let's look at the good news. The second point here is delivered. The work only Jesus can do. Our second D, delivered. We don't get details of Mary's specific healing, but we do see this other man's deliverance and how wonderful that was. So I'm going to borrow again from that story. While the man himself could do nothing to free himself of the many demons inside of him, Jesus had all authority over these dark spirits. Jesus addressed the spirits. They begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. They trembled in his presence, a testament to his power. He commanded them out of the man, and the man was set free. Jesus was fully God. He was fully God, showing it in this instance. And he spoke with the same power that spoke creation into existence. The people who knew the man as that crazy naked man, they were dumbfounded to see him after his delivery. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from. This I'm quoting scripture here, from sitting, sorry, I'm gonna start that over. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his and in his right mind. We've heard that verse a few times, so I feel like the Lord has something for us to get from that. I really love what the Bible says about this delivered man. Finally back in control of himself, the man begged Jesus earnestly to be with him. But Jesus sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went proclaiming how much Jesus had done for him. Don't you love that Jesus wants us to have peace? I just think that's so beautiful. It's that inner health he wants for us, that inner life and joy. It doesn't necessarily affect other people if we have peace or not, but Jesus cares so intimately about those little parts of us. He wants us to enjoy his spirit, his, um, what his reign of our lives will bring for us, and that's peace we can conclude that Mary's experience was similar to this man's. She had an encounter of some sort where he cast out her demons as well. And having regained her dignity and freedom, she might not have wanted to leave his feet either. Out of the life we get to see her live beyond this, she models a worshipful posture of servanthood. How can I serve you, Lord? I'm here at your feet. Where you go, I will go. Psalm 30, 11 through 12 comes to mind. It says, you turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth or my grieving clothes and clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. 
In such contrast to the torment she had been in, she experienced his goodness, power, purity, holiness in such a personal way as he set her life free from bondage. She would have felt her own powerlessness. She would have known the darkness of the power of the enemy and then seen the pure light and loving power of Jesus through this transformation. Every area of her life was likely reordered and reoriented with this healing encounter. Coming out of an unpredictable and scary state, Jesus would have been a solid rock for her that she could trust. That kind of encounter with Jesus would have taught sweet Mary a thing or two about Jesus, don't you think? He was holy. He was all-powerful. He was good. She would have been acquainted with unholiness. I think her special encounter experiencing his healing power would have helped her believe maybe he was the son of God. There's some truth to what he's been saying to us. So I want to say here that there is nothing too dark that God cannot turn to light in your life. And he's shown me that he is in the business of turning lives around. Maybe you don't have a past this dark or storied, but we all have sin. We are all born into the realm of sin and we need Jesus's salvation. I can remember a time as a young adult, single woman, that I struggled so hard to give God authority over my life. I was, it was at a turning point in my life, uh, deciding whether I would pursue Jesus and get with my life and give up an unhealthy relationship I knew he was calling me out of, or whether I would just keep holding on. God began to show me how many issues were stemming from this. Holding on to control it led to rebellion in my heart, confusion in my life over my mind, and worst of all, a shallow walk with God, a far walk. And I didn't want to admit I was wrong. Pride was causing a huge blind spot for me. Though I was raised in church, I'd forgotten the gospel. And what helped was coming every day to the word, quieting my heart and showing up with this question, who are you, Jesus? I don't know anymore. I don't understand the gospel or the significance of the resurrection. How does that apply to me? It's hard to admit those things when you've grown up in the church. And I journaled every little thing that he taught me when I just showed up with that one question. And it was so powerful for me. He filled my life with hope and excitement for him again. And all I could say was just, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He came in and showed me as I released my hands and just said, Jesus, who are you? I want you. I know this is the right thing to do. And he was so faithful to lead me through that time. And he wants to work in the smaller things too that vie for our worship and our affection. Comparison, serving wealth, serving ourselves. Jesus wants to free you from serving lesser things that are gonna bind you up. It's not to deprive us. 
never. It's so you can truly enjoy freedom. He wants what's best for us. And that brings me to my third point. Our third D is diligent follower. Who was Mary after Jesus? She was a diligent follower. So often in the Bible, when Jesus is in a place with his disciples, Mary is there too. She was called one of his female disciples. And we know that she's mentioned actually more than most of the apostles at a whopping 14 times. So I'd say she was a diligent follower. Mary was around for most of Jesus' ministry. Matthew lists him, her as one of the women who followed him and looked after him. I love that. It's like he, she, she cared for him. Maybe she got him a cup of water when he was done teaching. Who knows? But she cared for him. She looked after him. They were friends. When she's mentioned in the Bible with other women, she's mentioned first a lot of the time, showing age and seniority or status in that day. Another sign that she had been around for a while and was there to stay. It's clear from the times Mary is mentioned with Jesus that she loved him. The miracle worked in her life caused her to be devoted to him. One source put it like this. She knew she would not have a life if it weren't for Jesus. What Mary lived daily is the faith we all strive to achieve. So she traveled with Jesus along with the 12 disciples throughout his ministry and gave all that she had to support him financially as well as just in being a friend to him. She willingly gave her life to follow him. And that was her natural response. She lived grateful and generously, giving her time and money to support Jesus, giving up whatever life might have been back at home. So do we have this kind of response? What is our natural response to what he's done for us? Is the response of my heart toward his salvation to serve him and proclaim his goodness to those around me? And I'm speaking this to myself first. Life gets so busy. It gets so tiring, demanding, and it is just so easy to want to live comfortably, right? And want to just preserve a lifestyle. But I don't want it to be said of me that I took my salvation for granted. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I love that verse. So as the events of the cross took place, we find Mary woven throughout the story. When others like Judas and Peter denied him, she was faithful to him and all the way through his trials and beatings, and she stayed close by. In Matthew and Mark and John's accounts of the gospel, we read, she is present for it all. She's called a woman who looked after him, as I mentioned. And that was hard in that day to be a follower of Jesus. As he hung on the cross and died for our sins, Mary witnessed this too. 
She looked on when Joseph of Arimathea took Jesus' body to wrap it in linen, placed it in the tomb he had prepared, and rolled a great stone against the entrance. There are several accounts in Matthew, Mark, and John that all say that, that she was there looking on from a distance. She was there. She would have been brokenhearted. And Jesus, on the other hand, was both emotionally and physically exhausted. And I just want to say about that, that I'll bet she was a comfort to him. I bet that as he looked out and saw her face, he remembered how grateful she was and the support she had in him. I think he would have felt loved by her through all of that. And I think of the women that I love to see when I'm in a hardship. Honestly, everyone I came in and saw volunteering today, they're just such a great comfort to me. I think we all can think of those people, those faithful people. Maybe they're the reliable volunteers at church or those who just always have strong faith when you're going through something hard. You know those people? If you don't know those people, I just want to encourage you, keep coming to church. Just keep putting yourself out there. Dare to start a conversation with somebody. You will get to know those people. Determine to get to know them and count them as your spiritual family. The body of Jesus is so beautiful and we don't have to be alone. We have each other. So Mary followed Jesus unto his crucifixion. She witnessed his death on the cross, which leads me to our last point. She was delighted. Let's finish the story. She headed to Jesus' tomb at the break of dawn on that third morning along with another Mary. Side note, a lot of people were named Mary in this day. I read that over half the women in Palestine were named Mary. So that's going to come into play in a little bit, but it was a popular name. So this was Easter Sunday, right? And she was bringing spices um, to anoint his body along with some of the other women who were his followers. I wonder if she thought of having once been driven to the tombs for a very different reason. And maybe she didn't even want to be around this place. Even so, she was still faithful and driven by her love for Jesus to be there, even after he had passed. And on their way, the women start asking themselves, wait a second, who's going to roll away that humongous stone for us? I love that they just now thought of that. (laughs) When we go to anoint him, how are we going to access him? But as they arrive, there's no stone in the way. The Bible says there had been an earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, I'm quoting here, and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. Isn't that kind of funny? There's so much humor, even in the Bible. (laughs) Just sitting on it. (laughs) His appearance was like lightning. He would have been so bright, it would have probably just hurt to try to look at. His clothing was white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. I heard one teacher say, the alive men were dead and then the dead man was alive. What a morning. (laughs) 
she and the other Marys arrived to find this tomb empty. They saw that it was empty. They believed it was empty, but they still didn't believe Jesus had risen. Matthew 28 says this. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, what a mixture that would have been, they ran to tell his disciples the good news. They told Peter and John, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, but we don't know where they've put him. Boy, Mary started out wrestling with demons and now she's speaking with angels in the empty tomb that Jesus had risen from. I mean, I think she was a girl with some grit. She had seen some things. Wouldn't you like to hear her stories? <laughs> I would. And she stuck around after the men had left and she got to be among the first, if not the first, to see risen Jesus. John 20, I'm going to read that account of the resurrection. But Mary stood, verse 11, outside the tomb crying. Remember, she still hasn't seen Jesus. All she knows is his body's missing, and that would have been so unsettling. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the foot and one at the head. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? And she said, because they've taken away my Lord. She told them, I don't know where they've laid him. She's still believing he's dead, right? I don't know where they've laid him. It was a personal loss for her. It was a grief. It was a confusion. Her Lord, her Redeemer, her friend. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. She turns around. Maybe the angels begin to bow in reverence to him. Maybe she just senses his goodness. We don't know what it could have been, but she turns around and Jesus is there. He says, woman. Woman is the first word we get after he's risen. Why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And she didn't recognize him right away. You know, he would have looked so different from the last state she saw him in on the cross. And I also think that he was withholding her identity, for, his identity from her for this moment. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Still a dead body she's looking for. And Jesus said to her, Mary, her name. And with this, she knew it was Jesus. Think of all the feelings and realizations that would have just soared through her body at that time. Just her name was all it took, Mary. Even though it was the name of so many other women in that day, like I said, she knew he was talking to her, and it was in that name that she recognized him. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means good teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I'm sure there was a moment. She did, though. I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to tell my brothers that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary went, and she announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. I wonder how that announcement really was. I bet it was a lot more enthusiastic than that. And she told them the message he'd given her. Jesus chose Mary, I believe, because of her faithfulness. She was around. She showed up. He gave faithful Mary an assignment. She got to spread the word, right? She got to proclaim his resurrection to the people who knew and loved him most and tell his brothers that special message that he would be ascending to his father. Her faithfulness allowed her to be an important part of the first century church and the one Jesus first appeared to as the risen savior. She already knew this about Jesus. He was powerful. He has resurrection power to breathe life into death. And she saw it firsthand in her own life and now in the ultimate way at Jesus's empty grave. If there had been any doubt before, she would have known for sure now, this is the son of God. She spoke words that changed the world. I have seen the Lord. So she was delighted. That is all I have for us today. But I want to invite us now, um, as our band comes back up for a moment, to think on these words, to think on this message of transformation. I hope the Lord has been bringing things to mind for you during this time. Um, I pray that he has. I want to just invite you to bring those things to the Lord Maybe there's something in your, help, in your life that you need help with, that maybe you need deliverance from. Maybe there's a great pressure in your life you just want to give over to the Lord and say, God, I just surrender this to you. We're gonna have some um, ladies in the back to pray with us if you would like to go and pray with them. They would love to pray over you or agree with you in prayer. Or maybe it's a decision for the Lord that you, you might sense you need to make. I remember when I was caught in a time that I didn't know what to do. And God put the words, deliver me, in my mind. I didn't even know I needed deliverance. All I know was he gave me those words to pray. And he handled the rest. He came in and showed me. And he slowly revealed it to me over that time and over many prayer sessions. And maybe there's something like that in your life you need deliverance from. And I do wanna say sometimes he does it in one moment, but so often it's coming to him again and again in prayer day after day as he pries our fingers off of it or teaches us more about him and brings about slow and thorough healing. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. 
see you next week.